It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to our time together to discover who we are in Christ, what our spiritual identity is. It is so important to discover these God-given assigned roles so that we can boldly walk in who we are and impact the world around us. The particular title or name for God's people that we're going to focus on on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity is the pearl of great price. And this revelation has really impacted me. And I pray it will have the same effect on you. You find this parable in Matthew chapter 13, which is a chapter packed full of symbolism, metaphorical comparisons, similes. Jesus, again and again, eight times in that chapter, gave parables to unveil the nature of the kingdom of heaven and our participation in that kingdom. And one of those parables goes like this. It's found in verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. The King James says goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, some people who decipher the meaning of this parable assign that role of the pearl of great price to Jesus, and it's certainly applicable that way, but he's the one who paid a price to purchase us. We were the ones who needed to be redeemed, and so I believe that the bride of Christ is the one being represented by this pearl of great price. And the primary message that I believe God is conveying to us involves how he takes negatives and turns them into positives. There is no uglier shell on the bottom of the ocean than an oyster shell. Don't get offended at me, oysters. But there is absolutely no shell that is as ugly. Other shells have beautiful formations and and a beautiful appearance that makes you want to collect it. I don't know anyone who collects oyster shells because there's no attractiveness to it. However, it's the oyster that contains a valuable treasure, the pearl. And so this revelation, this symbolism, this symbolic comparison is all about how God takes ugly things in our lives to produce valuable things, how he takes painful things in our lives to produce beautiful things, how all things really do work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And the next verse says, and watch this, what is the purpose of God? The next verse tells it, for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God's original 
purpose voiced in the Garden of Eden is still his purpose now, and that is for you and I to bear his image. And sometimes the way those character traits are formed in us is by facing the opposite. When we face hatred, love is formed in us. When we face bitterness, forgiveness is formed in us. When we face depression, joy is formed in us. When we face anxiety, peace is formed in us. We have to face the opposite of these godly Christ-like attributes that are emerging in our spirits so that we can come forth step by step into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me read again that parable. I want it to get embedded in our spirit. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, the spiritual kingdom, this invisible kingdom is run by certain principles. It is governed by God for certain purposes. And you get an insight into God's plan and God's objective when you see how the kingdom functions. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant is someone who travels from a far place, and Jesus certainly did. He came down from heaven to earth to assume the form of a human being, and he came with the intention of paying a price. And a merchant comes with the intention of paying a price to secure something more valuable to him. And see, you were more valuable to him than the price he had to pay, which was his own precious blood. And he went and found one pearl of great price. He could have bought lots of pearls, but instead he found one pearl of great price and went and sold all he had to buy it. And Jesus gave his all for us. He could not have sacrificed any more than what he did to purchase his elect bride. And that's a beautiful thought. Now let's go into all the details of what this symbolic parable could be conveying to us. First of all, where do you find the oysters containing pearls? In the muck and the mire of the ocean bottom. And that's where God found you in a spiritual sense. That's where God found me. Believe me, I was in the muck and the mire. When I was a teenager and passing into my 20s, I was caught in a a lifestyle that was wrong. I had a near-death experience, and then I went into false religion. I was in the muck and the mire. Listen to what the Bible says, though. Isaiah 57, 20 But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So that's what my life was like. That's what your life was like. Ocean waves crashing on the surface, the chaos that was ruling over us. And deep down, seemingly irretrievable, in the muck, there we were. And then Psalm 69, verse 2, the psalmist said, I sink in deep mire. And believe me, in many of our lives, it just kept getting deeper and deeper. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Well, that's part of the symbol. But then what about the pearl that is formed inside of the oyster? How does that happen? There must be 
some kind of mystery that God is conveying to us in symbolic ways. Well, there's two primary ways that a pearl is formed inside of an oyster. And the oyster flesh, I'm, I'm sure you're very well aware of what it looks like, just folds of flesh. Sometimes a grain of sand will get lodged in between those folds of flesh or maybe a parasite. And the oyster will do everything it can to rid itself of this uninvited guest. It will open and shut, open and shut, flushing water in and out, trying its best to get rid of this painful thing, this unwelcome, invasive thing. But then when it finds out it can't get rid of the grain of sand or it can't get rid of the parasite, it does the next best thing. And that's a phrase I want you to remember, the next best thing, because there's some things in life we can't change, but we can let our faith reach out and grab hold of the next best thing. And we'll cover that more completely later on. But first of all, the grain of sand that gets lodged in an oyster, I believe that speaks of the lower nature that that is irritating to us on a day-to-day basis. We're always facing negative attitudes, negative emotions, negative thoughts. The lower nature wants to kick in. It's the default system of the fallen flesh. And thank God when you're born again, you have a new creation man that is in a position of superiority and supremacy and can overcome that lower nature. Thank God for that. The parasites, though, what do they represent? I believe they represent demonic spirits that try and intrude into the territory of your life, and they have no right to. You and I can claim the boundary of God's protective presence, but sometimes those attacks come. Then how does the oyster deal with it if it can't get rid of the grain of sand, can't get rid of the parasite? It secretes a milky-like substance called nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And that's also called mother of pearl. It's the mineral-filled liquid that the oyster secretes and covers that grain of sand over and over again, dozens and then hundreds of times until something beautiful starts being formed out of something that was painful. Something wonderful and valuable is being formed out of something that was ugly and intrusive. And then... There's more to it because that relates, I believe, to the Word of God. Just like the nacre is a milky-like substance, it looks like white milk. Well, in like manner, let me take you to the Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. So that's it. That's it. Sometimes we try and rid ourselves completely of the negative thoughts we may have, unbelieving thoughts, fearful thoughts, depressive thoughts. You can hold them at bay, but there's times when they just reappear on a daily basis and you have to deal with it again. And then the next day they come against you again. You have to deal with it again. It's like drawing this milky-like substance of the Word of God out of our innermost being, 
and coding that lower nature, trying to rise up and take control over and over dozens, hundreds, thousands of times. We cover it over with the superior authority of the Word of God by saying, it is written, it is written. When weakness shows up at the doorstep of your mind and says, you can't do this, you're not capable of this, then you draw out of your innermost being, it is written, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When depression covers you like a cloak and blots out the light of truth, then you respond to it by saying, it is written, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. You're pulling that milky-like substance of the Word of God out of your innermost being to coat the lower nature over and over again until it is subdued under the power of the Word. Or, if it happens to be a demonic intrusion into your life, that's how Jesus faced off with the devil by resorting to the Word. Even though he was the Word made flesh, When he confronted Satan, he went to the written word, even though he was the living word. Isn't that amazing? And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And not every negative thought you have is from a demon. I think sometimes people overdo that and and they put things on the devil and put things on demons that are really just the flesh. But we're not to be oblivious to our enemy either. And there are demonic attacks on our minds and on our bodies and on our emotions. And we have to respond to that by saying, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. And by saying, it is written, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when we do that, we're coding that parasite, that blood-sucking kind of demon influence. We're coding it with the word of God and immobilizing that demon, and not only that, paralyzing that demon and destroying its control over our lives. In the process, something beautiful is being formed. The nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is being formed in all of us as we yield to the process. Now, very quickly, I don't want to take much time explaining these things, but I will go through a list. This is all about suffering becoming valuable tools in the hands of God to shape us and form us into his likeness. I don't think we should accept all suffering, but some suffering is avoidable. Other types of suffering are unavoidable, but all that suffering is carrying us to a goal. Jesus even learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. So even he went through suffering in yielding to the will of the Father. And if he who was perfect suffered... You and I who are imperfect are going to face suffering. To believe otherwise is to live in some fantasy kind of world that's not real. You're going to face suffering. Now, this is avoidable suffering. I've got five in the list, and there may be more. Number one, suffering that results from being bound to sin. If you're a child of God, 
you are doing your utmost to live above sin and the suffering that results from being bound to sin is something you can avoid. The way of the transgressor is hard. But see, if you're walking in obedience, that is exiled from your life. Number two, the suffering that results from being under Satan's control. And he destroys those that he controls. And the demonic powers that work under him destroy those they control. Well, you and I are under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ if we've yielded our lives to him. So that suffering is avoidable. Suffering that results from being controlled by wrong mental and emotional attitudes. If you're controlled like by fear, then fear has torment. There's suffering involved, but perfect love casts out fear. So if you've learned how to deal with it, that is unavoidable suffering. The suffering that results from sickness and disease is avoidable. Sometimes it, it requires a real battle of faith to get your healing. I've got some healings from God immediately and others I've had to contend for for years and then finally get my breakthrough. And so it's not always easy, but the suffering that results from sickness is avoidable. And then suffering that results from not walking in faith. That's avoidable too, because we can cultivate faith. We can stir it up within ourselves. Now, unavoidable suffering. Number one, we have to know him in the fellowship of his suffering if we're going to know him in the power of his resurrection. And what is the fellowship of his suffering? Rejection, persecution, being misunderstood, misrepresented, bearing the burden of a lost world. I think that's what taking up your cross is all about. So many people identify personal areas of pain and they say, well, that's just my cross. No, that's not a cross yet. That's not a cross yet. Personal pain that doesn't result in some kind of impact outside of yourself is not a cross yet. Jesus went to the cross so that he could reach out to lost humanity and effectively loose them from the power of sin. And if we take up our cross to follow Jesus, then that is a death to self in order to share his burden for lost humanity. He said, take my yoke upon you. That yoke was the great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature and being really committed to that vision that he bore when he was on the earth. Then number two, unavoidable suffering sometimes are the trials and tribulations we face in life. We can conquer them, but we can't always have a life free from trials and tribulations. Then number three is a strange one. Sometimes suffering comes from revelation knowledge, because in Ecclesiastes it says, in much wisdom is much grief. And that's an inward kind of pain that is different. It's a different kind of pain because the more you understand what life is all about, sometimes the more pains you are for those who don't. And much wisdom is much grief. And then another unavoidable suffering is we have to mortify our members which are upon the earth. And sometimes that involves being a partaker of Christ's sufferings. And then finally, number five, Another unavoidable suffering is the travail of bringing forth the Christ nature. See, in Romans 8, verses 22 and 23, it even says that the, 
The universe, the whole creation, groans together and travails together in pain until now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And not only they, but we groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. See, that's an inward pain that we all feel if we're genuine and authentic in our commitment to God. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 Paul wrote, my little children of whom I travail again in birth until Christ be formed in you. So suffering will come, but Romans 8, 18 says, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So we shouldn't even try to balance them out. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I want to show you something mysterious and wonderful about that glory. See, Jesus paid an ultimate price on the cross in order to purchase his pearl of great price. A pearl is something you adorn yourself with, and Jesus is going to adorn himself with his elect bride to whom he will be married eternally. What ecstatic joy will be in our relationship with him unhindered by this world and all of its pressures. But I think there's a reason for the description of New Jerusalem, and I'm going to give it to you right now. From Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 and 21, and I'll end with this. This is John's vision of the heavenly realm, and he said, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And then he said, as he described different aspects of the city, The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. One day we'll walk in the streets of New Jerusalem. And quite likely some of our loved ones are already there. If it's already inhabited, and I tend to believe it is, then praise God, they're already in that spectacular setting. Why would God make the gates to New Jerusalem look like pearls? Exactly what I've taught for 20 minutes. The pearl represents suffering. And I believe the sufferings of this present time, in a sense, will become a gateway to the unspeakable joy of heaven. Because through that suffering, we have walked out of the curse and all that resulted from it, and into God's eternal blessings. And it's a transition that brings a transformation, just like the pearl is a transition that brings forth a transformation. That's what the pearly gates are all about. And that's why God's referred to his bride as the pearl of great price. Listen, I want to tell you about a book that I urge every one of you to order. My wife, just recently published her first book called I Cried a River. And the reason I wanted to mention it is because it was a time of suffering in her life. She was diagnosed with cancer a little over 10 years ago, and they implied she only had a few months to live. And now she's cancer-free after 10 years. Thank God, praise God. And she's on the other side of the camera right now, praising God with me. But she wrote what I think is the best book for someone facing a life-threatening disease that I've ever read or ever seen. 
And I would urge you to get it for yourself or a loved one that's really struggling with his or her health. And I know it will be a blessing. Just go to shreveministries.org and go to the bookstore and you'll see it there. I Cried a River. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.